this is Ann Angela Webb, the Animal Intuitive. And I'm wondering if you've ever thought about the fact that animals can help people achieve their purposes, their, their goals, and their dreams. Well, Dr. Paul Gabia certainly had that happen. So how does a blind child who's actually terrified of dogs become a guide dog trainer and positively impact the lives of countless people? Stay tuned, we're gonna talk about it here tonight on the Animal Intuitive Show, where you can find weekly episodes about natural pet care, animal communication, and episodes about experts in the fields of animal care and advocacy. Hi, Dr. Gabias. I just want to make sure that everyone can hear both of us. Would you mind? Can, yes. Hello, hello, Anne. Can you hear me? I can. Yes. I'm going to take your volume down a little bit. And uh, I do have the comment okay. sections, a section up just so people know we are taking comments tonight. Um, but I do want to just take a moment and introduce our guest, Dr. Paul Gabias. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Dr. Gabias. Well, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm very excited about tonight's um, show. Uh, Dr. Gabias is joining us from his home in British Columbia. He is an associate professor of psychology working at the University of British Columbia. He graduated cum laude from Concordia University and received his PhD in experimental psychology from New York University. Dr. Gabias also has an honorary do uh, doctorate through the University of Victoria for his organization of the blind community, as well as for his support of uh, seeing or guide dogs, we call them, in Canada. And this is amongst many other accomplishments that we're going to talk about tonight. So Dr. Gabias, let's just start with this. It must have been very difficult accomplishing all of this in a world that really just seems to be uh, set up for the sighted. And so if you could please tell us a little bit how you got started out in Montreal, I think it was, and how that led to becoming an associate professor of psychology and more. Oh, sure. Well, um, I think my parents took the position that the world was my just like anybody else's. Uh, so I kind of adopted that position also. And uh, when it was time to go to school in the province of Quebec, blind children were um, educated at schools for the blind. So, so that that the we were we were set up from day one uh, at school. My mother explained to me that you have to go to school, and this is where they're set up for you. So, um, of course, we learned Braille very quickly. Uh, and we learned um, later on uh, travel skills. So uh, by the time I uh, left uh, high school, I was really uh, academically prepared. And uh, but you know my my at the and I uh, stayed in or the the residence uh, at the the uh, at Loyola College. So my travel wasn't that far to go. And I remember my the first few days before school, my sister kind of showed me the campus 
And, uh, you know, that, that was it. Now, in terms of uh, dealing with print, uh, there was an agency, there still is. Uh, it used to be called Recording for the Board. Now it's called Learning Ally. And a lot of the textbooks uh, were recorded and, or we could have them recorded. We could have access to those. And for um, papers that needed to be read, uh, I got good at making friends and, uh, and um, selecting readers from, from these friends. Uh, it also turned out that at my uh, university, there was a blind professor who was teaching in the psychology department, and he taught statistics and history and systems of psychology uh, and uh, what was it? Oh, sensation and perception. So uh, that gave uh, definitely a feeling that uh, I was in a world that was still set up for me. There's a general principle here. If you, many times, if you start in an endeavor, it isn't set up for you. You have to, you have to change it to, to, to fashion it for your purposes mm -hmm. in business or other, other situations. So uh, I, I just, uh, to this day, got good at uh, hmm. fashion things uh, to, to the way I want them to be. Well, and, and it was interesting, too, because it doesn't sound like things kind of started out with you and dogs so well, and that became something no. that, <laughs> another thing that had to be changed. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, uh, it started when I was a very little boy. Uh, I would go out in the yard. There was the only thing I know was it was the Houston dog and it, it, it was in the yard in back of us. There were bushes separating us and uh, somehow that never came on our property, but I just, all I could hear was it barking and that sounded frightening to me. Mm -hmm. And I went to visit uh, uh, my brother, Alan Johnson and Gary Johnson, and they had a dog named Chummy. And when I reached out to pet him, as they uh, encouraged me to, uh, he growled. I, I don't even remember touching him. Okay. We uh, uh, went to Grandview Cottages. We rented co uh, cottage in, in Vermont every summer. And Mays had a dog named Rusty. Him also, I, I don't remember really him, but gosh, when I remember when he started barking, I would just ran, just in my <laughs> dream. And my mother, oh my God, that must be because of a dog. <laughs> and so after that, uh, my cousins got a dog, a German shepherd named Brandy, and I loved going to visit my cousins. So I figured, gosh, I'd better get to know Brandy. And so, and there, there was a dog at school named Zuk, and there were just many dogs that uh, that I sort of began to warm to. A boxer named uh, Divil, and I remember taking a, a walk Divil uh, uh, when I was nine-ish or something in the in the country, and there was a fork in the road, which I really didn't understand, but. Um, um, on the one hand, it led to a mailbox, and on the other hand, 
land and led to a farm, and I could never, through my calculations, I thought if I did this, it should be taking us back home. Poor devil, she just sort of uh, healed along, and she was an old dog. And uh, that was very frightening to me. My, somebody found me, my parents uh, picked me up, my mother picked me up. And so, uh, you know, you, you develop from, uh, from these uh, sorts of uh, situations. I did a lot of reading. Um, Albert Payson Terhune wrote a lot of stories, uh, books about collies. And he lives, he, he, his called Sunny Bank. And uh, people know that Lad, Bruce, and Wolf, and Gray Dog. And I became very fair. Ellen was a blind dog who had a collie who had puppies. And, uh, you know, I read Jack London and uh, with Buck and, and White Fang. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Albert Payson Terhune is very famous. There's a school named after him, an, an elementary school named after him in Wayne, New Jersey. Oh, which okay, not far from here, yeah. Not far, you know, and not far from Pompton Lakes, where he was from. Uh, so uh, after that, there was a Labrador retriever named Maggie that I got to know. And she was quite different from the collie that Bonnie. Bonnie would, they'd say, sick her, sick him, sick him after the cows and she would bark and I said, oh God. But Maggie didn't have that as a Labrador. They don't do that. They just like to go and run after rocks and they love everybody. And so I thought maybe I, I could have a, a Labrador. Then, there was, then we get to the guide dogs. There was a woman who had a German Shepherd guide dog from the seeing eye. Her name was Bruni. And although she barked at the doorbell and whined, uh, I did get to, to to like her. So it got to the point where I started pestering my mother about um, getting a dog. And my mother had a lot of plants and she, oh, she kept saying, no, no. And I remember uh, she had a rubber plant and I pinched its, one of its leaves because I was kind of so mad. Why can you have all these plants and you can't get me a dog? <laughs> so they got me a German Shepherd uh, named Raja, R-A-H, and he was, um, I think I was about 15 by that time, but he developed hip dysplasia and died at four months old. It was a dreadful oh, wow. thing. It was my first experience with death, mm. but after Raja, uh, I did get to go to college, and um, uh, Dr. Lambert was th that blind professor that uh, I took many classes from, but he uh, and his wife had two golden retrievers, a lambda Corey, that they had trained themselves. And I just thought, I remember one time being uh, with a group of people, we were at a restaurant, and he, he got up and said, Lambda outside, and that was it. It was, he was, oh, I want that. Mm -hmm. I really. Be able to do that now. I had had some cane travel training at the school for, and so I could get places to where I wanted to go, mm -hmm. but it just didn't seem to me like it was as smooth as with Bob or Dr. Lambert. 
and Lambda. Mm -hmm. And uh, why did I get my uh, own puppy? It, it was because um, the few dogs that I had seen uh, that were uh, or met that were program trained, oh, they just weren't like Lambda at all. I wanted like that perfection that Lambda uh, exuded. <laughs> so I, got, I, w I was uh, living with uh, a, uh, a he was an English professor on Sherbrooke Street and Schooner, a little walk-up apartment. And uh, I guess I decided with, you know, with his uh, approval that I would get this Labrador retriever named Rafa. And that's where it started. But there was a big history to it. It doesn't come, uh, you know, it doesn't, it just didn't happen, uh, you know, all at once. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, I mentioned to people when I was uh, kind of putting out information about tonight that we were going to be talking, I've actually known uh, Dr. Gabia since I was a small child. I've been very good friends with his niece uh, most of my life. And he was visiting um, the States where she was. That's how we met. And um, he had Rafa with him. And so maybe real quick, we're kind of diverting off the path, but I did do a little teaser in the, in the stuff I sent out, you know, as to what I did that was a little bit odd, but may have been a predictor of how I ended up working with animals. So you know what that is, because that involved I do. <laughs> I, I, I do know what it was. It was... Uh, you actually sampled of kibble yes, uh, yes. and uh, he, he he wasn't eating at the time but somehow or another you d did that and uh, <laughs> uh oh that that's that's a interesting beginning and yeah as you say perhaps a predictor of what you're doing now yes and interesting he wasn't eating what was his no no he was well he wouldn't have cared i, I mean uh, he wasn't that kind of dog you know he, okay. just uh eat. oh you mean at the time i was eating the food he wasn't eating it he wasn't we eating, weren't eating no. together yeah we weren't <laughs> no, no you didn't take it out of his bowl as right. he was eating <laughs> yeah just to clarify for everybody i wasn't like on the floor i i went into a bag in the no, garage i think you wish he went into a bag yeah, yeah. So, and I can tell you what it tastes like. That's the thing. If anybody wants to know, I do have a pretty good idea of what dry dog food tastes like. It's still kind of, it kind of stuck with me. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so, but speaking of that, I mean, this kind of all kind of goes with what we're talking about here because this has to do with the human dog, the human animal uh, relationship. And, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that and, and, and how that kind of unfolded with you. And I, you know, I just want to mention that I think I've always had this idea that if somebody were blind, maybe even deaf, that they almost had a, an advantage when it comes to intuitively connecting with animals, especially if someone had a, a guide dog um, or other, you know, service animal, quote unquote. And, and kind of had this advantage with animal communication. So I wonder if we could talk about that, just that, that relationship that you have with your guide dog, dogs. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, I think everybody's different and uh, some blind people don't like animals. Remember, I didn't at first. There was no one was gonna wanna be communicating with any dog, <laughs> but that, that developed, right? Um, but certainly once you are 
in a re uh, relationship with a guide dog, um, definitely you, everybody does learn to understand uh, each other uh, through the, uh, you know, there are certain ways of working with a guide dog. Right. Um, uh, with with uh, Rafa, I remember uh, I, I went to Germany. Uh, he must have been two at that point. Um, I worked in the summer of 1971 at a, um, a, a language school, and I had to travel from home and to there and back on the bus with him. Mm -hmm. And I made enough money so that uh, I had, well, I got that job through, uh, uh, my mother wrote to Prime Minister Trudeau at the time. and, and oh. <laughs> Because, you know, how do you get, uh, you know, a, a blind uh, teacher employed? Well, um, I guess if you're friends with the prime minister, you wow. write to what we did. So oh my goodness. Wow. I had this job, right? So uh, the next year after that job, I decided to go to Europe with Rafa uh, to, to Germany because I'd met a German professor and I liked him. And so um, that it was really there that uh, he showed me that, yeah, I, I am paying attention to where we're going. Hmm. And to go, I remember from wherever it was, I was staying to someplace else. Uh, uh, he, he just, it, it really clicked. I said, I can't believe it. Rafa was, I could go into how that training occurred with him, but he, I learned on. And, uh, but when that happened, uh, I thought, wow, he really is paying attention. Uh, it was amazing. So and we have to back up a second. First of all, I want to just say to, to everyone who's joined us on here, including JT, thank you for um, your excitement about being here. I'm so glad that you're here and you've joined us. If you are here, you can ask questions. If I don't get to them right away, we will address them. Dr. Gabias is perfectly happy to do that, he's told me. But we have to back up. So your mother <laughs> uh, was somehow knew, first of all, the Prime Minister Trudeau. How, what can we? Yeah. Oh, that's because uh, <laughs> my father and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, Pierre Elliott, my father and Pierre Elliott went to the Chambreveuf together, which is high school, and uh, their mothers were friends also. So, okay. And then my other, my mother's grand, my mother's father knew them. They all seemed to know each other. Okay. So, um, uh, I had never met uh, Pierre Elliott, uh, and before. I remedied that uh, maybe five, six years before he died. I took to writing to him, and we finally did get to go. Uh, my Mary Ellen and I and uh, Joanne and Jeff. This is your wife and children. Yeah, yeah and Jeff was like maybe three. And uh, the prime minister, actually he wasn't prime minister anymore. Somebody uh, helping him. We were in his home. <laughs> my son Jeff uh, it seemed to uh, tap him with a fly swatter and oh god <laughs> he, he gave us some Chinese tea we just had a wonder, wonderful time uh, at that point we had two goldens with us uh, we had 
Schubert and Mozu. And uh, my sister was there and John Goodness. was there also. My was okay. Amazing. But we haven't so... met Justin, his son. He had wanted us to, but the children weren't there. Oh, okay. Well, that, that was interesting. I didn't think we could just fly by that. But so back to, to Rafa. So Rafa was your, so Rafa was your first <laughs> yes. that you trained yeah. and she kind of trained you, right? So how did, tell me how that kind of developed, like the nitty gritty. How did, how do you, as somebody who, nobody trained you, right? Like you had to figure no, out. No, nobody trained me. And all I had was uh, intro psych, learning a chapter and in intro psych, but all the reasons. I had done with the, the Terhune books, but you know, they don't teach specifically sure. yeah. to uh, teach a guide dog. But uh, so he was a puppy and I wasn't living by myself. So I, my friend, uh, John Blacklock, um, he's a deceased now, he was sighted and could kind of help with at least the basic uh, housebreaking. But you know, uh, was born in May. We got him in July, and I was in the dorm in the residence in September, thinking, "Okay, I really am on my own with him, and I hope that he's house trained enough, at least, not to go into the dorm room. I had a private room, mm -hmm. and he, he didn't. He didn't. But um, I, I, I'd seen this is some movies at Seeing Eye. There was, a, I think, Atta Girl Kelly, the Disney movie where they said, oh, you're supposed to pretend to fall at the curves or something. But when I did that, Rafa's attitude, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> Normally do that. What are you acting stupid for? Stop falling. That, that was his attitude about all of that. So I said, obviously, whatever they're saying, is not going to work for this Labrador who's just happy-go-lucky. Just let me go. Let me play with people. So Dr. Lambert said, okay, just have him sit at the edge of, when you get to each uh, curb before stepping off the curb and before stepping up onto the up curb. Mm -hmm. Sit at the down curb, sit at the up curb, tops of stairs, the bottom of stairs, and just keep doing that. And um, so he got to know that, yes, okay, he because he, they don't necessarily have to sit, but that's not how we teach them to stop. And then uh, after a time, you know, we can say, we can uh, add, a, a, add correction if, if we figure, well, now you do know this, so now you have to, you have to be reliable. And so um, with cro crossing straight, you just do a lot of street crossings. Uh, obstacle work was actually very easy. You just tap the obstacle. Um, their directional commands, left, right, and forward, uh, that you have to teach them. And uh, but but Rafa was the kind of dog. Uh, he he was a, a a male college student. He was rough and tough, mm -hmm. but, but not, not aggressive in any way. Just, just a, you know, he could, he could, uh, just a, a reg, regular sturdy door. And, um, and, and he, you know, he wasn't, you know, you're supposed to think of these dogs as 
Oh, being so careful, paying attention to their blind master. He liked to do uh, keep to play uh, keep away. You must know what that is, yeah. where the dog uh-huh. jumped maybe a, a foot and no, the other. So Bob told me, you've got to keep him on a long road and, you know, make that, enforce that come command. He gave me lots of trouble over that because I didn't know what I was doing really, right? Mm-hmm. But eventually it, it did get solved and Bob keep, kept, because I, you know, I'm going to give this dog away. This is, this he's too difficult to work with. And Bob kept saying, do you, but do you like him? I, I don't know if I like him. He's really, but he kept stressing that relationship, you know? Right. And um, so I kept at it and he molded himself uh, over time. Okay. How long did it take? Extremely proficient. Yeah. How long did it take till you started to really see the kind of fruits of your labor with him? Um, well, you know, we went to Germany when he was two and I was already traveling on the bus when he was um, maybe one or, you know, one and a half or something. I, I waited with him because uh, they kept saying uh, with the puppies, oh, well, you, you know, they, we only take them back when they're you know, 12 months old or 15 or 18 were, that's a long time. I couldn't afford to wait that long to start training. So uh, Bob had said, as soon as the harness fix, start the training. So they would have been about a, um, six months. And so a year, uh, he certainly knew the training. It's just that you have to, a young dog like that, you have to monitor uh, pretty carefully and oh time he uh he was he was he became very very good but uh it was my yeah i think if he if it was very smart but um he was no no pushover in terms of mm-hmm. you know, he had his own will too right that had to be shaped mm-hmm. so having done that with him there was no dog that i couldn't train after Oh, okay. So he was like the big challenge. So it kind of set you up. For- well, he, he was, yeah, he yeah. really was since, you know, I was able to do it mm-hmm. even though, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know, but I, I, I have to say Dr. Lambert to phone and to talk with was very, very uh, important. Yeah. Yeah. I have a mentor, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and that's kind of what you've you've done that for others, right? You've helped other people. I, I have. So um, after Rafa, uh, I my friend John Blacklock should have a dog, even though he's uh, sighted. We got a Labrador Retriever named uh, Hecuba, and uh, it wasn't so difficult. Difficult in those days. You just you could trust the lab to be reliable in terms of uh, diseases. Nowadays, it's not the same. You gotta do all sorts of screening. So then I had a uh, girlfriend who had a um, who lived in New York and uh, had a golden retriever named Charm. And I went to New York University 
and through uh, Tony and Charm, I met uh, lots of um, blind people with guide dogs, and and I really saw the range of of um, of how they were used. And you know, some were good, some were not. Some I some were like, oh, I can't believe that, that these dogs were hmm. by a program. Like, oh. God. Uh, do you think there's a difference between i mean you you mentioned between mine and yes yes i've never had dogs like that yeah you said that you know you kind of saw there was a dog once that uh, there was a restaurant that lots of blind people went to new york on 59th street near the lighthouse where we got reading done Mm -hmm. this this dog was guarding the table restaurant table barking at everything that came I, I said, oh, my God, is that, I can't believe it. And so I, I got to see the, uh, the range. And by the time Charm was getting old, we decided that um, I would train a dog named uh, Flicka. Uh, but she, we, we didn't uh, get up. We thought we need to see how they are as older dogs. So Flicka was about eight or nine months when we got her, not necessarily even housebroken, more from field stock. And then after Flicka, um, somebody else thought I should train a dog for him. Uh, it was a Labrador retriever that um, I named Faith. She was older too when I got her, and there, but there were a lot of things I had to work through with her temperamentally. She was kind of a uh, more, she was afraid of things and I had to kind of uh, desensitize her. Well, the fellow who, who asked me uh, didn't take her. He said, oh, she's too small. Mm-hmm. So then somebody else really liked her. And so he took her. Now he'd never had a guide dog before. Tony had, but he hadn't, but we did that. And then finally, after her, I said, no, I am not, I am going to raise mine from puppies from now on. That's the only way I have complete control over what happens. Mm-hmm. That My second dog, Viva, and I did get her as a puppy, and I was living alone at that time. But see, at that time, crate uh, training was uh, had been introduced, and I did that from uh, Tony. So uh, crate, it makes things a lot easier in terms of supervising what a puppy is doing yeah. when mm-hmm. you have, uh, you know, a crate that you can put the puppy in when you're not, you know, uh, you know watching. Sure. How do you want the blind person? You listen and you maybe use a leash or something. But um, it was the one who showed me that puppies could learn and can learn quickly. Uh, by the time she was six months old, she, she knew everything Wow, six or seven months old. She, um, uh, I think I got her in January, and I took her to the uh, National Federation of the Blind Convention, where there are lots of dogs and lots of people, three thousand people. She did extremely well, Viva did, and she unfortunately died uh, of a spinal embolism. I think she was three and a half. Oh goodness. So then I got Schubert, and by this time we were in Fredericton, New Brunswick, out of New York, 
And uh, oh, he was another one, kind of like uh, Rafa, but um, I knew what I was doing by then. So uh, I just know she was, he was related to Viva. She, he was the last one in the litter. And they said, oh, we call him the Rambo puppy. I said, oh, I've had kind of a puppy like that before. If, since he's related to Viva, I'll take him. And then um, that was Schubert. And then Mozu was for my wife. Uh, Schubert lived a long time. Mozu picked up something at five years old. The next day she died. So I, I sort of took a sabbatical from dogs. But 20 year sabbatical from guide dogs, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, this business was rather too difficult. And then I thought, you know what? I'm only going to work and going to Costco, not really getting out. And I'm, I think I was 66 years old at the time. So I said, I'm going to get Kenko. Uh, Kenko, that name, K-E-N-K-O, Kenko. Who's comes. Kenko? I just brought a picture up there. Oh, yes, Kenko. Well, her her name is because of uh, the uh, products that, with the company that I'm expanding, Mikan, a lot of the products are, have Kenko in them. It's a Japanese um, term, okay. uh, meaning health. So Kenko is two and a half. She's a very, very sweet dog. But she comes from field stock, so you know she needs to. She's got a lot of energy that needs to be uh, channeled. But I, I, but she that has toned down a whole lot. Channel is really what it is because she can turn it on and off. And when it's time to work, she's got plenty of energy. When it's time to play, she's got energy. But right now, you wouldn't even know she. She knows I'm working. So she's just lying um, near in the kitchen so just i'm wondering how do you i think it I th i'm thinking about if if you're walking you know around a city like new york or yes yes with your cane and you sort of know how to do that and so you're in control you're like you're kind of doing more what you're used to um i guess i'm just thinking like when is that point where you trust a dog enough to Ah, okay, you know, okay. What so, happens? Uh, how do you get there? Is it just the? How do you get there? Well, I um, use no. Well, I I use a cane while I'm training, mm -hmm. and it's just by dogs give you um, notes when they're going to be distracted. You can tell when they're just when their their tail is wagging when you know when it. Uh, more than usual or they're pulling more than usual. you get a lot of signs and then you can so the first thing you do is hey wait wait a minute settle down uh stop pulling uh pay attention mm -hmm. and, um but they it's just by doing it over spending a lot of time with them working working relationship is uh absolutely fundamental and uh so i know kenko so well that uh, i just know she's not going to uh, 
I know what she, what the sorts of things she might do and what she might not do. So let's say if she's going to be dog distracted, she's going to give me plenty of work. Uh, but I know her now enough that even if she's distracted, she will stop at the down curb. She will stop at the up curb. She, she will uh, obstacle clear. But it's just that the, the ride is a little bumpier than I So, I mean, uh, she, she's gotten very good at speed control. Uh, in the icy, she, I can slow her down. Uh, I can, but it, it, and it just comes from doing it, doing it, doing it. So even with the program trained dogs, uh, they may have been trained, but tell the people you know, it takes a year before everything starts to feel really smooth. And mm -hmm. okay. so, um, but, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if I wasn't comfortable, I'd be using my cane until, until, until I was. So is there a moment you think when they've been doing kind of like the, the smaller things, you know, where you're not in, say, a more challenging situation and you do it long enough and then all of a sudden one day they sort of stop you from doing something that could be harmful and you're like, it's just... Well, uh, yeah, let me see. Uh, there always is a moment, uh, like, I remember the one with Kenko recently was uh, uh, we were going to be getting into a taxi cab in an uh, unfamiliar place. Mm -hmm. And so I told her, you know, forward, forward, and she wouldn't go. And I thought, why is she not going? And then the, so that the guy <laughs> starts pulling on her harness handle. The taxi and, driver? The... Yeah, because he doesn't speak oh, wow. English, okay? So he starts pulling on her pack, her harness handle, mm -hmm. and really she loves people, right? And she, she wasn't <laughs> To him but she completely resisted like there's no way you are going to pull me when i don't want to move <laughs> and the reason she wasn't moving was because she wanted to make sure that i checked with my foot where the edge of the curb was wow. um, and she had to her i hadn't checked so therefore she wasn't going to go until wow. she that i knew and that, how'd you know that, that? Did you, you just knew because she had done that before or was it like an intuitive no no well how did i know that because i know that she, if she's not moving i have that's the the deal right if she doesn't move it means you've got to check you know because she wasn't there was nothing there was nothing it wasn't because she was distracted it was because there's only got to be one reason. You did not check with your foot. Okay. And uh, uh, there was another dog one time in a restaurant, and there was a step down. And we're saying, forward, I'm saying, forward, forward. And God, what is distracting this animal? No, it wasn't that. Check with your foot. Wow. There's a step here that you don't expect. Wow. And they can do this. And so. That's amazing. Uh, you don't know when it's going to happen, mm -hmm. but it actually happened fairly uh, early. Now, what they're thinking, um, 
It, I don't know, because remember Rafa, we thought, what the hell are you doing falling like? You don't fall. You, stop that. That's, but he would do it too. Uh, um, so they, they just come to know that uh, they, they have to be careful. Now, do they, if, if you train the dog, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, but okay. I, I was just thinking, if you were to train a dog and then someone took the dog, does it just transfer automatically, the dog? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. Somebody took uh, Kenko's uh, leash. Oh, no, she'd be jumping on them and like, oh, we're playing. No, she, 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 there has to be that whole, um, there has to be, particularly with Goldens, uh, the lab seem to uh, uh, you know transfer more easily but not golden so much they uh, there has to be that relationship and there has to be that uh, I guess that that feeling that oh this he knows what he's doing and okay. maybe that dominance hierarchy you know but um, but you've trained dogs for other people, right? So when you... Oh, so how did we do it? Um, it was gradual. So at first, um, particularly the fellow who had never used a dog before, I just had him hold my arm at first and we would go uh, along uh, certain streets or whatever, do certain crossings, just so that he could feel through me uh, what the dog was doing. I said, you know, keep your cane out just in case. But, mm -hmm. uh, so first he would feel through me what she was capable of doing. Okay. And then um, I had him, you know, obviously be able to do the, the, uh, the obedience commands, uh, left, right, forward, down, sit, stay, all that. And then I had him uh, follow me with her on the same uh, streets that we had done before. So he, he kind of knew the layout of what they were going to be, what it was going to be like. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I had him, then it was time where he would be ahead of me. Uh, so all through this time, some... Uh, trust is uh, developing between the two of them. Uh, with traffic work, I remember we set up uh, traffic uh, checks, uh, traffic checks or cars do certain things that and the dog is expected to, uh, to stop, you know, whether they're backing out of driveways or turning corners. Or So we put him through the same traffic checks that she had been put through in her own training and I think it took us maybe he would he would come uh, to my house and then uh, there was as a, there was a point where he took her home with him mm -hmm. and came back to my house uh, that involved subway rides you know so he already had done was pretty well uh, we we just wanted to really cement that uh, that transfer. The Labradors seem to transfer fairly easily. Um, 
but uh, yeah, you you you'd have to do it uh, systematically. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So. Rafa worked for Tony while I was training Flicka. Schubert worked for Mary Ellen while I was training uh, Mozu. So, um, and then there had to be that working transfer from from me to Mary Ellen. Uh, Yeah, but it has to be managed. Transfer, you can't just hand over a dog and say, oh, work with Mary Ellen. No. Yeah, and I guess they have to learn also like a new environment right i mean if they come from one home to another that has different sounds smells and all that does that change you know does that that, distracting for them for a while or well these are you know the dogs um that i chose are you know their temperament is pretty good so it doesn't you know they you have to allow for some time but it's not gonna that's not gonna be uh too big okay i see yeah and and I'm curious, did you find any difference? Now you've done all you've worked with all Labradors and Golden Retrievers, right? Yes. Okay, so no German <clears throat> Shepherds. I had a German Shepherd Raja okay. at uh, he was when I was 15, but not for very long. Okay. He he had tendencies that we just don't want mm. in my dogs, like um, being uh, protective and. Uh, you know these tendencies that we just—I saw tendencies in him as a puppy that just the, the retrievers just don't have. Okay, are you finding or hearing that that I don't know? Are the shepherds being used as much, or they just you know they're careful? About no, they're not being used as much, but they are being used. Um, there, there's one school, Fidelco Guide Dog Foundation, where that's all they train. Okay. They, 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 um, sometimes the schools get started because the people are breed enthusiasts for, so seeing I, they were definitely, uh, German shepherd enthusiasts. Uh, yes. when they, they, and then they, the uh, they have branched here. out. Yeah. yeah. Morris so the, is where I live and you see the, ger- you see the seeing eye walking, training the German shepherds right in the street. The German shepherds. Yeah. They'll, you'll see them with their little vests and there, you can see people like, definitely they're in the process of training and you kind of let them be and do what they're doing um it's a staple in the town there's a statue in the middle of oh like yeah the, the green of a, D- a german shepherd and a man um and um and i, I that man is probably morris frank who was oh. the first american to uh, come back with uh, a seeing eye dog from from europe Okay, so it's not just any old statue. I didn't realize that. No. <laughs> right? but, uh, I should have read the thing. I think I've taken a picture with it, but I never. But, um... It's uh, Ma- Morris and Buddy. Oh, okay. It's a specific. Buddy was okay. the first uh, seeing eye dog. Uh, uh... I need to be more alert, I think. But um, I, and I have to say, as an animal communicator, we tend to avoid, and I'm, I'm using the word used as I'm talking because it's difficult. I don't know what other word we you know worked with. I'm not sure, but in, I have to sort of say as an animal communicator, I have to apologize almost for, for using the word used. We have a thing about not using that word. However, in this handled, context, if we can say handling at handling. Yeah, well, I guess to say, you know, if I'm saying like, um, are they using German shepherds anymore? 
I guess working with, I guess working training, with, yeah, you know, would be the, the way to training. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, just not to objectify them, but, um, so my bad. So I guess I want to go back to that a little bit with the, with the intuitive thing. Am I making that up that, <laughs> and I know it's different for everybody, but do you feel that generally like that if you're, um, if you're blind, that somehow that kind of gives you a advantage with um i couldn't i generalize i couldn't okay no i I can't because there are just too many different types of people i i don't think blindness in and of itself is going to make you particularly sensitive to people's feelings there there are some rude blind there are some uh, wonderful blind people there are blindness they're just every shade of, of type of person sure, they're people um. you know they're people I, I, I there's not going to be some I mean some people are kind of looking for some uh, extra thing right. that you have but superpower yeah yeah I don't think if that happens <laughs> I guess people I develop know. these things yeah I guess the reason I'm thinking that is because um and I wouldn't necessarily think it just with anybody. I would be thinking somebody who is blind who has animals, but especially somebody who's like working with a dog on a regular basis that, that they were dependent on that. Well, dog. then it comes with the dog, right? But it doesn't necessarily generalize to other dogs, right? Okay. That you're yeah. working with. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you take, you take a person like Jane Goodall she was sensitive to animals she says from practically from birth you know she she had that in her and she was from as the time in memoriam in in her life she remembers thinking i want to live you know in the uh in the the jungle or the rainforest she wanted that so that's what she did, and she to find those chimpanzees. She was thinking, "I'm gonna, they're gonna be sending me home. I won't have found one. I have to find one." And nobody, nothing was set up for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had to set this all up. Amazing. And that yeah. is amazing. You know, you take somebody like that. Yeah, in a totally new environment, it is courageous that she did and everything she did is amazing um and and speaking of that you've you've had quite a life of um accomplishments and doing um just amazing work to help the blind community and and help with making guide dogs more acceptable and i know that there was an incident that happened when you that kind of got you going with that right you had a, a problem with um renting or something along those lines with a dog a guide dog and this was oh, back, back yeah. in the day a long time ago right that was <laughs> that was when we i was moving from the uh, university of nevada reno to uh take a where i'd had a one-year position to take up another one-year position at the university of southern colorado in pueblo colorado and we get there and for some reason they don't want me to the movers to move in my my furniture with the dog and 
So I contacted the uh, National Federation of the Blind of Colorado, mm -hmm. who at the time was Diane McGeorge. And she said, oh, we'll get our attorney on this right away. And uh, within 15, 20 minutes, uh, yeah, they, uh, with the power of the Federation, they, uh, the guy said, okay, and um, ended up uh, bringing me a bottle of wine, uh, <laughs> apology, and I remember taking that bottle to the uh, state affiliate meeting, and it was a big kind of celebration, and it's, um, so, yeah, and you thank God it wasn't a, it wasn't a protracted thing. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I yeah, was president of the National Association of Guide Dog Users okay. many years, and uh, that's pretty good for somebody who never went to a guide dog school. But right. uh, <laughs> I guess the uh, the you know the people uh, understood that uh, I knew what I was doing, and uh, and so we. Uh, we worked on uh, on on many things. Uh, one of the things I didn't know how to do when I first got a puppy was to have to teach them how to leash relieve. Um, uh, you know that's why I had so much trouble with that uh, recall, Rafa at first, and it was only through uh, Tony that I learned. Yeah, they they can leash relieve on pavement. And uh, so I'm still a, a stickler for going on pavement now so that because dogs won't, if they, you have them go on pea gravel or on uh, grass or, well, then when you're in a big city and there's no pea, no grass, they won't go on the pavement. And then if you're in a hotel situation, um, lots of dogs and you've got some dogs that haven't been acclimated to going on pavement uh, then of course they'll there can be accidents which right. we don't want. but yeah. uh, i remember we had to be dealing with you know some rather basic issues like uh leash relieving on pavement <laughs> uh, starting from the get-go don't and you know some um or, or having teaching dogs to pull over, or uh, you know, I don't know. It, it it it's it's it seems to have gotten better, but um, a, a lot of people, I just remember, uh, d just didn't didn't either the dogs weren't prepared or they didn't know how to prepare their dogs for these convention settings where there are. Uh, so many dogs, you know, right, yeah. 100 or 150 dogs. Wow. It has to be, it has to be, uh, and, um, and, and so uh, I think it's gotten um, uh, much better now, but we, we always had to deal with access issues and access issues relating to uh, uh, taxi drivers. Uh, that's always an issue in cities yeah and airlines and oh gosh you know it's all there's a but i i, I have i'm not i don't do that anymore so uh yeah. the, you know, people can uh you know deal with it yeah things are changing too now they're kind of they're they're kind of re restricting now more um not 
official, I don't think, guide dogs for blind people, but the whole pet therapy dog uh, thing where you're trying to take them to travel, now they're kind of starting to restrict mm -hmm. that more. What do you think about that? that yeah, well, that's the problem. There's so many different kinds of service dogs. And, yeah. and uh, this, I think they're just now new air, airline regulations that I haven't looked at, but uh, you know, it, it is hampering to some degree, but it, it's still getting sorted out. But I know Air Canada, I have to tell them in advance that I'm coming with a guide dog, not that I like doing so. Mm. But one time when I didn't, they, God, there was a huge delay. And oh, no. uh, we never used to have to do that. We used to just show up and okay, you're traveling with a guide dog and uh, yeah, okay, now it's not like that, but it's because it's, I guess, people have brought on animals on board the planes that uh, weren't suitable for, uh, for um, you know, service work. Okay, yeah, being in that situation, they're not really perhaps officially... <laughs> ready for well and um i i would say look if you see a blind person you can tell if somebody's blind or not yeah by if they do they make eye contact with you you know that duh right <laughs> that they they're not going to make eye contact with, with you okay. uh the dog is going to have a harness and the dog will be able to guide mm -hmm. well the dog is able to guide then it's presumably going to be well behaved uh um i say presumably because remember that dog that i was telling you about that was guarding in the restaurant Bark, yeah right, right. Barking. but no so it so the way around all of this is uh to 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 have in the law which many of them do if the animal is not behaving properly, then the person with that service animal can be asked to leave. Mm -hmm. So if too much noise, uh, if it's, you know, if, it, if it's not following the proper decorum, mm -hmm. yeah. then it's got to go. Yeah. But there's no guarantee that just because the dog came from a program, that it's going to necessarily behave. Most of them do, just like most of the uh, owner-trained guide dogs that I know do. Never have met one that doesn't, but apparently wider service arena, you've got people who are not even using the dogs as service dogs and uh, but again, I in Kelowna, God, we don't really see that. Mm -hmm. uh, we, but I hear in other cities, yes, it seems to be happening. But well, I'm curious as uh, you're talking about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the, the the all the 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 establishments or businesses have one fallback: if the animal is not behaving properly, then uh, they can ask the people to to leave. Sure. Yeah, that would be the, yeah. Um, 
I guess, I don't know. I don't know why it's gotten to this point. I guess they felt people were taking advantage of the the whole situation and just bringing, you know, dogs they didn't need to to travel. But uh, I hope that doesn't affect yes. people who do need them. I hope that, you know, that's my concern is that it would somehow negatively impact those that do really need their dog or yes. cat, whatever. Yeah. Well, you see, that's the thing. I think the airlines now have said they have to be dogs. So uh, okay. they've eliminated uh, other steep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking, you know, do you feel that there is um, the kind of the difference in your training with, I mean, obviously they have to learn probably a lot more, um, but in sort of the way that you train a guide dog, as opposed to just generally training a person, training their dog, um, you know, what, um, what is different about that? Like, is there anything sort of other than just the obvious that's, that's different? Um, training a guide dog versus training a pet? Yes. Is that what mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the pet you don't have to rely on for your safety. And the guide dog, you so that training is not just um, to, to, to pass uh, some kind of obedience um, right. uh -huh. or some show requirement or some field requirement. Uh, this training involves the safety of the dog and the human being with that dog. Mm -hmm. Because once, because if you're a blind person using a guide dog, there comes a time where you're not using your cane. So not going to be using your cane it's because you want the dog to be uh, reliable and so the standard of precision and and this, and the standard for making mistakes is uh, is quite different you know mm -hmm. an animal that doesn't behave in uh, the obedience ring what does the mistake cost anybody nothing yeah. A guide dog that doesn't behave, doesn't stop at a, at a flight of stairs or uh, doesn't care for an overhang, hey, that, that, that's, that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the dogs have to, they, they have to be taught, this is serious. This is serious. You don't mess, you don't do this. You don't mess with this. Right. You have to do it. So some people have have um, issues, I guess, with animals having to perf to perform in certain ways. But uh, I think there's a continuum between animals and people. And all pe people learn that we we have to behave in certain ways. And if we don't, uh, you know, there are consequences. So if you, um, if you don't show up for work, then you don't get paid. Uh, if you brandish a knife uh, in front of somebody, you'll, you'll probably be arrested. I mean, things happen. Mm -hmm. Animals can learn that too. Mm -hmm. 
animals can learn that there are consequences and um, the consequences of, you know, but we, uh, they're communicated through the, through the, the leash correction or through a voice or for, through whatever gets through to the dog that um, they're, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Serious thing. I mean, you, you, you're walking with a guide dog and you're walking uh, along a double-sided platform. Uh, there are lots of people, let's say in the subway. You can't afford for the dog, for the dog's attention to lapse so that your foot goes off the, uh, mm. the edge. Yeah. That can't happen. Yeah. So I taught my dogs, all of them, even if I bring you close to the edge, don't allow me to do it. Hmm. That's because since I couldn't monitor it, this is how I had to do it. Uh, don't allow me to bring you to even urge you to get close to the edge. If you do, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a correction, not a strong one, but one that everybody knows uh, how, the level of intensity that, is required for their particular dog, right? Some you do, it doesn't require much. Oh yeah, I know. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like uh, what? <laughs> uh, so so depending on the dog you have, they all have to understand there's certain things you cannot do. Yeah. Can't. And do you find that your um, work in psychology, your training? helps you with the training that you're doing there's some kind of uh well you know in psychology even when i took my first intro psych course uh the basic uh, there's classical conditioning and operant conditioning mm -hmm. and uh, it's more operant conditioning that, that yeah. that's used i guess i guess with clicker training it's classical but um we and maybe explain to people what operant if they're not sure if they're not aware of the. Oh, two. okay. Well, operant conditioning is that the dog uh, uh, emits a behavior, and that behavior is either reinforced or punished. That's that's the way it reinforced with praise or with food or with uh, um, a, a nice uh, sounding voice or, mm -hmm. and the punishment is uh, is a correction. Right, or or a sharp word, or uh, and then of course the positive punishment, and negative punishment. Well, the positive punishment is where you, let's say, the dog does something um, and is is administered a correction, whereas a negative punishment is the dog does something and then you know you take something away that it wants. That's kind of harder to do. Uh, but, yeah. um, and so training, um, people have, have changed, um, uh, with our whole society about even what, what do we do with children? What do we do with dogs? And, um, uh, there, there are some, uh, programs now where, uh, the the training is heavily food dependent and in the olden days you'd never be 
kind of uh, looking down in shame right now. I'm kind of like, yeah, my main goal. I mean, <laughs> I'm a in, sucker. In, it's in, really bad. In, in the uh, olden days, uh, you wouldn't be giving dog food for 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 that sort of work because it's, uh, you know, they have to be um, concentrating on, on on the task. So. Uh, it just, it just depends. I, I, I just, uh, find that uh, I've heard of this, uh, where some people have said, uh, with the, uh, uh training based primarily on food mm-hmm. that if they stop giving the food, the dogs just don't work. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I can't even believe that. There is no way, none of mine would, no, they just, no, that just wouldn't happen, you know? And so what is the real motivation? Is it so short term? Like, I, I, I wouldn't want my dog to be, my safety to be dependent on how much kibble, um, the animal gets. I want the animal to understand that this is serious, mm-hmm. that my safety is involved and you must be responsible. It's way beyond if you got a piece of kibble or not. Yeah. And I have to think probably sense? that- Does that make sense? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, especially because my dogs could be better uh, trained than they are. And <laughs> as an animal communicator, I, I've said this before, I can be a little bit of a sucker. So, um, yes, it does. And, uh, you know, um, I'm, th- I feel like dogs that this is kind of the sense I've had of dogs that are working dogs that, uh, this is kind of logical that they're, they're more grounded. They're more, um, balanced. You know, I'm sure that's a Caesar Milan, thing that he talks about just that they're they're Mm -hmm. more in their um you know they're using their energy in a way that rewards them just simply by doing the work and doing it well and um oh yes fulfilling it's you know they feel good and um and i'm wondering the dogs that you choose how do you how do you decide where you know what if you get a dog that after a year, it doesn't take to this. How do you, you know, how do you find the sort, how do you source them for lack of a better way to put it? Oh yeah. What a great, great question. So in the beginning, I just had faith in the breed, uh, a Labrador, it'll work Hmm. Uh, for, (laughs) I just made, and I made it, uh, work. Um, the, uh, Let's see. By the time I was dealing with Viva, a puppy, um, there was temperament testing that was done with the breeder, and I had a pick of the litter for Viva. Uh, Schubert, it was based on same breeders, but, you know, I needed him. I needed him quickly. So I was going to go with, he's related to Viva, Mm -hmm. He's got the parents, so it should work. It, it should did. Work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Mozu, uh, I think uh, it was a friend of the another breeder. They knew each other, and by that time, they they knew what we were looking for. 
Um, Kenko, I looked very carefully on the internet and I, I found um, uh, Rio Ranch uh, Golden Retrievers, working dogs, solid. I could just tell mm -hmm. that they were really um, very steeped in the hunting aspect of the golden. And um, these were dogs that said, these are dogs that are meant to be in working homes. Okay. So, and, and she said, we're breeding for longevity. So I knew right away, this okay. is gonna be a solid working dog that's gonna require, um, you know, a work environment, a working environment. And that's, that's what I got, but she's absolutely solid. And is that uh, what you would recommend or what would you recommend if somebody's going to do this on their own? Well, they, they need to really be careful. Um, choose the puppy very carefully. Choose the breeders very carefully, you know, choose the breed very carefully. Uh, but so having a good, like you said, like those sort of criteria that they're they're bred for working, they've made their they. Well, you want certain things like health is a priority, but you want you. These were always the criteria that I used. You don't want a dog that's afraid of thunderstorms, that's afraid of loud noises. Um, you don't want a dog that uh, can't be made to settle down. Uh, you don't want to any sign of nervousness or car sickness no you don't want that mm -hmm. you don't want uh, uh you want a, a dog that's going to get along with other dogs uh, that's that's not going to be um overly protective and in, in this uh, for a guide dog work and these are just uh things that uh you look for, and also, of course, you want all of the OFA tests uh, to come through uh, in the parents uh, to come come out uh, with uh, no problems. Uh, you know, hip, elbows, um, eyes, heart, all of those things. And there are people who specifically breed dogs for people to uh, take on as guide dogs, or is it just more... Um, no, the schools do. They they have their breeding programs, um, but it's a whole different system, right? You've got dogs that are coming through. Uh, first, they have to come through a puppy home, then they have to transfer to the kennel, and then they have to transfer to uh, a blind person that's assigned to them. That's a lot of transferring. Mm -hmm. And some dogs just, um, whatever their triage system is. And remember, they have to be uh, um, training the dogs for people who are not trainers, right? And people with all sorts of ranges of ability. Mm -hmm. The triage that happens. And uh, amazingly enough, um, it, it works. Um, you know, it works quite well. Yeah. Well, I, and, I just wanted control of the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Safer, so. I suppose it's a, 
more reliable. Well, it's, it's, my, it's my nature, my temperament, right? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. It goes with my temperament. I'm also wondering, unfortunately, animals don't live as long as we do. It's the hardest part of being an animal lover and pet parent. But I am wondering, what do you do when you've been sort of relying on a dog to help you for many, many years and then they pass? How do you, does it, how much does well, it It's very you? difficult. So one of the ways that I coped with it is I just stopped doing it. Um, but now... What I said to myself when I got Kenko was, I'm going to enjoy every aspect of the process. So beginning to end. Um, so, and so let's say we had this happen again, that, you know, three or four, uh, something happens to her. Mm -hmm prepared now to oh well I'll just start over with another puppy that, that's that's because that's just the way this goes mm. so uh, I used to think oh I put all this work into her and then she died and I gotta start all over again and and then thinking you know I'll only be really happy when she's fully trained and totally reliable mm -hmm. and no if i think like that i'll be just totally devastated if something happens where is whereas if i think every every moment every ask every moment with her is going to be uh, a moment of happiness mm -hmm. regardless of what stage she's at in her training Mm -hmm. And then it's um, because fundamentally, I can travel using a white cane. I can go anywhere I want. It's just that I like this feeling, mm -hmm. but it's not like I can't can't travel. I mean, it's not that at all. You're not completely dependent. So, so people in general oh, no. who are blind, they avoid that making it so that they've always had or that they're dependent on they're both they're well i hope so there's some people yeah. well they would be nice if uh, they all could but some people um don't switch that easily and, and have maybe don't feel that comfortable using uh, their their long white canes some people it's not even long it's too short some people <laughs> right cane but <laughs> so so they yeah it's pretty rough for them Must and be. They, yeah. they expect that the agency will be able to provide them with a replacement dog within a matter of uh, months it doesn't happen weeks it's months and so how they deal uh, between dogs, how they deal with when the dog is sick. If they don't have uh, really good uh, cane travel skills, well, they're, they're going to be kind of uh, up the creek. They'll have to um, either uh, go play. Well, you know, there's 
people can take taxis, I guess, or they can uh, go with other people. I mean, it's not like you have to be totally stuck, but it's really good to have several uh, avenues through which uh, you travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that it would be very important not to be completely dependent on the on the dog for that. Um, and I didn't even think of that when they're sick too. Yeah, that could happen too. They could hurt themselves or get sick, and they're yeah. temporarily out of service, so to speak. Um, and I think that is a very good uh, point that you made that we need to just really be in the moment with our animals and value and just treasure every moment with them. Um, so that's a big takeaway for me from this to keep remembering that um, even when you're maybe you're a little frustrated out there with your, <laughs> your oh your yes someone out there who's you know that would never be me no um, but is there anything else that we have not discussed tonight that that we've missed that you think is important Gosh. you know for for anybody you know people who are who are blind and thinking about getting a guide dog or have a guide dog or not you know just in general is there anything that you want people to be to think about or be more aware of when it comes to this well everybody's like me you know uh, there are people who uh, are training dogs with a very different breeds than I would be using but uh, to to them uh, that that suits them, uh, and so they're they're uh, uh, not everybody's the same. Uh, but if I think what is the same though is that uh, at some point, if somebody's going to not be using a white cane, traveling that dog has got to be dependable and the first one to to be uh to notice that it isn't will be the trainer the owner uh-huh. so, yeah. uh, and i think the other thing i would say is that uh, the uh, the people who go to guide dog schools when they come home, they really have to take, assume the role of, of trainer. Because although the dog has been taught or taught to, uh, to, to behave in certain, certain ways, they have to reinforce that. Mm -hmm. yeah. so they have to know what's happening. They have to reinforce it for, and they have to, certain, certain behaviors have to be corrected. So, so they it's not like they're just hanging on and oh the dog was trained and yeah. i just hang on and then uh the next one comes no there's a, a very active role that uh anybody has to assume when they're working with a, a service animal or a, a guide dog and mm -hmm. always always the case that the uh the leader has to be the human being that's what the dog looks to mm -hmm. the human is the human is my alpha mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's an important the human is not the alpha important to remember yeah the alpha. All of us. and then it's <laughs> it doesn't know yeah <laughs> it does not <laughs> know 
the way we want. Not always, uh, not automatically, always. (laughs) Sometimes we have to really, some of us especially, the softies have to really, uh, sometimes we have to adjust ourselves. um, So. To the animal you have. Yes, absolutely. To the dog that you have. Yep, you have to be prepared for that. You might have to do some looking inward to the, <laughs> that you might have to do some changing i know i've i've had to do that and that's just part of the journey animals animals are here i believe to uh to help us in many ways and sometimes it's to just change evolve as people so i am grateful for them and i'm grateful for this discussion because i think it's i think it's uh it's just so fascinating to me you know that that animals will take that we've just developed this way that animals um, can take on these roles of of helping us in this way it's a beautiful beautiful thing and um, you know I really appreciate everything you've shared with us tonight Um, you know if there's anything I have missed please please jump in before we finish up tonight but I just want to thank my dogs were developed right They, they were developed by humans uh, from the wolves, uh, a long, this is, this is, this is not, um, a re- recent, this dogs and humans working together is ancient, ancient, ancient history. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable. It is. Absolutely. That that has, uh, happened and uh, uh, you know but you know all these names i mentioned all these dogs at the beginning they they have they they've passed on but they've all left their mark with me mm-hmm. not I'm a, I'm people's my uh sister is uh, amazed that i remember all these animal names these dogs but i i because they they have left their mark uh, on me so yeah um, absolutely and it, it seems like they've really um they've they've been a big part of the work that you've done to help other people so we didn't even totally get into all of that but we know that you have done quite a bit um so you know i i uh I, I know that you said that you would be open to people if they have questions to reaching out to you, um, wondering how they could do that. Yeah. Um, okay. So my email is uh, pgabias, p-g-a-b-i-a-s, pgabias, at gabias, g-a-b-i-a-s, wellness w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s dot com pgabias at gabiaswellness.com and uh that that's different from my ubc email because uh one of the things i do uh with people is um I'm a wellness consultant with a large Japanese company called Nikan, N-I-K-K-E-N. So uh, I uh, help people improve in five areas of life, body, mind, family, society, and finances. 
and we use these uh, Japanese technologies that uh, um, use um, magnetic energy and, and uh, bioceramic uh, energy and, um, and, and we work with water and sleep and air and nutrition and all things. Mm -hmm. And Wonderful. the, uh, the other know. thing is um, we help people um, become part of what we call a uh, transformational business with purpose. And the purpose is just to help people improve in these five areas of life, uh, body, mind, family, society, and finances. And uh, to make it short, I got into this because my back hurt. And it doesn't hurt anymore. Mm. I sleep. I can now. And um, uh, even though I'm a professor uh, with four children, uh, we needed extra income. So... Um, all those cha things uh, have changed uh, since I started uh, expanding this this company 20 years ago. Wonderful. So they can reach you at both the P. Gabias, and I will have this in the description below, links for um, all of this. So don't worry if you didn't get this, but I'll have it there for people. P. Gabias at gabiaswellness.com, and then my website is www n i k k e n dot com forward slash n a another forward slash paul gavios and that uh, there's a contact information there on that website okay so people can reach you for a lot of different things animal to human uh, wellness and i'll have those links as i mentioned again and if you you know, want to reach out to me for animal communication or animal massage, acupressure, energy work, essential oils, CBDs, lots of different things. You can do that at www.intuitivetouchanimalcare.com. Uh, as of today, I have some nice holiday specials running that you might want to check out, uh, gift certificates and offers. And I also teach, so if you want to check that out, please do. And thank you so much, Dr. Gabios, for joining us tonight. And thank you all for watching. Thank you, Anne, for um, giving me so much time and interviewing me. And it was a, a pleasure uh, speaking with you and with uh, your audience. Likewise, absolutely. Thank you. And, and good night, everybody. And stay warm especially if you're getting hit by the snowstorm good night good night rub my belly rub my belly